0: Last month, the uh, teens went to YC in Edmonton. And I said to Megan, Meg, what was the best part of YC? And I thought she would say, the food or something. I didn't know what she'd say exactly. But she said, surprisingly to me, she said the best part was the preacher. I was excited. She said, that she really enjoyed a fellow named Reggie Dabs, and I don't know anything about Reggie Dabs, but he obviously did a great job <coughs> in uh, in speaking to our teens and encouraging them, and that's absolutely fabulous. I remember very clearly what it was like to be a youth minister in the in the late 1970s, early uh, 1980s, when in the Los Angeles area there was a fellow named Murray Isaac who had kind of captured all the teens' attention, and he was the youth minister that everybody wanted to listen to. He was the preacher who could just kind of turn everybody on. They just absolutely loved hearing him speak. Well, there were two of those guys, really. Don Williams. Some of you may know Big Don Williams or have heard of him. He's, I'm sure he's been at Western, uh, been around youth ministry for a long, long time. He's probably, oh, he's got to be getting close to 65 or 70 years old now, but back then, of course, he was still speaking, and, and uh, even when, and when he was in his 40s, the teens uh, still loved him. Well, Murray and Don were good friends in the Los Angeles area doing all of this with, uh, with teenagers and going around, speaking at all the youth rallies, kind of, uh, you know, really had a name for themselves. One day, Don was at home on a Sunday afternoon. We got a call from Murray Isaac's wife. And she said, Don, she was crying. She was obviously really upset. She said, Don, something tragic is going on. I don't know exactly what I don't know where Murray is. All I have is a phone number, and you need to call him. And so Don Williams called his good friend Murray. And as soon as Murray answered the phone, Don knew that there was something uh, drastically wrong. Murray was clearly very upset. And through the course of the conversation, it was revealed from Murray to Don that Murray had been caught up in some sin, it was kind of a, you know, what we might call something like sin of the most atrocious kind. It was just really horrible. And and Murray was on the verge of taking his life. So Murray told Don all this through his tears. He was extremely upset. Don kept trying to find out through the course of the conversation where Murray was, and he wouldn't tell him. And so they just they kept talking on the phone for a long period of time. Don couldn't get Murray to tell him where he was. Murray eventually hung up, and he took his life. And I listened to Don tell that story, actually, to a group of teens a couple of years later as he spoke at a youth rally and related to everyone what exactly had gone on and the tragedy uh, that had occurred. That Don told the group that day that he thought that his friend Murray had made a horrible mistake. But the mistake he was talking about was not the mistake of the sin. The mistake from Don's perspective was what Murray had done with his sin. Because Murray, maybe may too much in the frame of mind of somebody who is focused on his own sinfulness and lack of recognition of what God does with that sinfulness, he had focused so much on that that he couldn't let it go. And so he was despondent, beyond depression, and ended up taking his life. It wouldn't surprise me if today, there are those of you here today who sometimes have a sense of hopelessness about your own ability to completely follow God in all that you do. We live in a world that's a long ways away from what God wants it to be. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about temptation and how it enters our lives and how we sometimes are unable to say no. We live in a world, we live with people, who are a long ways from God. They are estranged from God. And from the garden, it's been that way. And so since from the garden, with one violation and unwillingness to do what God wants human beings to do by eating from the tree, there was something that was changed. Something, in today's language, if our teens are listening today, something morphed. Something became different about not just a man called Adam and a woman called Eve, but something was transformed within you and me. Something became different with that original sin, as we call it. We didn't just go from ugly ducklings to beautiful swans. That wasn't the morphine that took place. We went in another direction. And that which was created in his image and to which God had said when he looked at us, this is very good, was transformed. And we began to take on what we refer to, what the Apostle Paul frequently refers to as our sinful nature. And we now possess a nature that simply put, intended to go against God. And the fact is, this is just the condition of humankind. Our world is a world filled with people who simply, by nature, because of who they are, go against what God would desire in their lives. And again, it's been that way since the beginning. That's the history of humankind. If you think about not just the history of humankind, but even the history of Israel, what was the history of Israel? Constant rebellion against God. For a while doing God's will, but ultimately not. That's our reality. You want to turn on the PowerPoint, please? Is it ready? Do I hit that button? There we go. Thanks. Look at this from Jeremiah 17. I have to admit I was a bit startled when I read this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's an amazing thing for the prophet Jeremiah to say. As he writes that, he's writing to Jews, to Israelites, and he says that the heart is deceitful. And I think when he says that, he's talking about fallen human beings. Ecclesiastes 9.3, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. And we all know Ecclesiastes is not the most encouraging book in the world. But that may be the most pessimistic thing within Ecclesiastes, which is Ecclesiastes, which is not the most encouraging book. The status of humankind with our hearts. You shudder to think about where we're at and who we are. Proverbs 14.12 There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Do you see that? There is a way that to us seems right. We end up following that way, and I think our sinful minds, our sinful nature, so distort our thinking that that which we think is good ends up in death. Because we just can't think any better than that. And we really should. And then look at this passage from Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 24. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will save us? Who will take us out of this position of of death that we're in? He says... There's this sinful nature within humankind and the result of that sinful nature within us is going to be death. And I just, I think of who we are as human beings, there really isn't very much that's changed. It's just like that for us. That is in fact our condition. Except for one grand truth and that is, and he continues it in the next verse, Thanks be To God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that this pattern of being estranged from God, the pattern of all of history and all of humankind being estranged from God, gets turned around. The vilest sinner can be forgiven. And that's why we sing with gusto sometimes words like amazing grace. It's why we sing things like my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because of what we have received in Jesus. Now, we could stop right there and talk about salvation from sin in the sense of forgiveness. But I want to tell you today that it gets even better. As I said, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about temptation. But what we've really been talking about is the sinful nature. What we've really been talking about is the law of sin and death that Paul describes in chapter 8, verse 2 of the book of Romans. He says that there is a law of sin and death. Temptation is not insignificant because we give in to it. Temptation would be insignificant if we just said no. If every time it came along, we just said, I can handle that. No probs. I don't have to give in to that. If that's what we did every time, we'd be fine. But we can't do that. If you're on a diet, and you walk into Tim Hortons, you start to smell the smells of those donuts. Donuts. And I'm not a coffee drinker, but you go into Tim Hortons, I've been told, and there's an aroma there that will get you. And people talk about things like, I've got to have a (laughs) double-double. Now, I barely know what a double-double is, okay? But people say that because there's something attractive about that double-double to them, and they can't take it. And so you go in there on a diet, you're probably not going to make it. My advice is don't go. But are we strong enough? Are we able of saying no to that? I don't know if we're capable of saying no. We can't resist. We are weak. And then when we start talking about a weakness with respect to something genuinely sinful, we're talking about our morphed natures, our post-garden sinful natures. And the fact is we're trapped. We can't avoid the inevitable because, as Paul says, there is a law of sin and death. And so... I've got an axiom for you. An axiom, by the way, is an established rule or principle or self-evident truth. Something that just is. And here's one. The law of sin and death. God's law plus our sinful nature equals sin equals death. It's an axiom, which means that that's just the way it is and it will always be that way. There's nothing you can do about this one. This is just the reality. And then the second part, or another way of saying this, is that our sinful nature, ever since the garden, does not equal life in the spirit. That's unfortunately just who we are. And it's unavoidable. Or at least it was unavoidable until Jesus. With Jesus, with Jesus. Everything changed. Look at this text, the one that was already read today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the first thing I want to tell you is that I don't think, when he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that he's talking about forgiveness. I don't think he's talking about forgiveness. I think forgiveness is part of it, but that's not all. There's more here in this text than just forgiveness. Because through Christ Jesus, it says, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Do you see how the old axiom is removed and replaced with a new one? For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, not just forgave it, But he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. There is a new way to live, and the new way of living is according to the Spirit. Do you remember the story of Tom Sawyer? Who in here's read Tom Sawyer? Anybody read Tom Sawyer? We we need to read Tom Sawyer more, folks. Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, you need to read those. In Tom Sawyer, one of the great moments in the book is when Tom Sawyer's funeral is being conducted. It's being conducted because Tom and Huck Finn have gone off down the river on a boat and the people in town don't realize that they've run away and they think that they have drowned in the river. And so they hold their funeral. But in the middle of the funeral, Tom and Huck wander in. And they go first to the balcony and they listen for a while to what's said about them. They hear their funeral and there's all this crying and commotion and people are very sad. And of course, Tom and Huck know that none of these good things that are being said are true. But they listen during the funeral and then they think it would be cute if right in the middle of the ceremony if they would just saunter down the aisle. And so that's what they do. And all of a sudden, the dead have come alive. There is a complete new thing that happens to them. It looked like, according to everybody, that Tom and Huck were dead, but they weren't dead. And that's what it looks like to us. It looks like when we look at our own natures, you think about who we are, our sinful nature, you think, well, we're dead. The axiom says it. You take God's law plus our sinful nature, and it's going to equal sin and equal death every time. And Jesus comes... Paul says in Romans 8, 1 through 4, and he says he turns it all around. Everything is different. And the axiom that said, we are dead according to our sinful natures, gets turned on its head. And it's not just forgiveness, because it's something bigger than that. It's radical, and it's new. Those of you who are mechanics, if you have an engine that's not running right, you can put new spark plugs in it. You can time it. You might want to put uh, a new rotor and a new cap. Uh, Maybe you change the plug wires. You give it a new fuel filter. Try and make that engine work the way it's supposed to. But let's imagine that the engine has just had it. The problem is not the spark plugs. The problem is uh, the rings. Or the problem is that all the main bearings on the crankshaft are shot. Well, you can put all the spark plugs in that engine that you want to put, and it's not going to change a thing. What that engine needs is a complete overhaul. You need to spend a lot of money, and the whole thing needs to be redone in order for that engine to run the way that it's supposed to. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He didn't just give us spark plugs. The Holy Spirit is not just new wires. Instead, it's like a whole new engine rebuild that has taken place in your life because of God giving you His Spirit and giving you, therefore, a new nature. Here's the axiom at work. In Christ, there's a new axiom, the law of the spirit of life, Christ plus spirit equals righteousness equals life. And it's, just, it's not just forgiveness. It's not just a home in heaven. What he's saying is that you have been transformed. You've been completely changed. Something new is different about you that wasn't new before. I often hear people say that the church no longer addresses the topic of sin. We don't talk about hell the way we should, or the way we used to. Used to be the preachers talked all the time about sin. Now all we talk about is grace. Well, there might be something positive and good about that change. I think there's something positive and good, actually, about talking about grace. But we do need to talk about sin we need to recognize the reality of sinfulness and what it means. It's a tragedy when our young people grow up and they think that somehow sinfulness is just not all that important a thing to be concerned about. We need to recognize the truth of God's righteousness and his call for us to be right before him. But it's right for us to focus on grace. It's right for us to focus on the presence of the Spirit in our lives because ultimately that's what God wants for us, is for us to recognize what it is that he has done in Jesus in the full transformation of human beings. We are made new. We are different in Jesus. And that's why he came and that's why he sends his Spirit to us. We don't just receive life, we receive powerful, triumphant, abundant life with the law of the spirit of life that is now working for us. It's a new axiom, it's a new day, it's a new spirit, it's a new life that we possess. And we need to recognize all that newness and what it can do for us. There is something different about our character. It's as if somebody went in and took the old blood out of us and put in this new spiritual blood and transformed you in the process. In 1972, there was a fin- Finnish distance runner who was running in the Olympics named La Viren. Ran the 5,000 meters, then ran the 10,000. And I was really big into running then, and so I knew who La Viren was. And I, I watched as Steve Prefontaine, who was from Oregon, of course, this great runner with the last few laps of the 5,000 meters, went in the lead and then lost it, and then went in the lead and lost it. And ultimately, it was Lasse Viren from Finland who won the 5,000 meters in 1972. A few days later, he won the 10,000 as well. Won both the 5,000 and the 10,000 in the Olympic Games. In 1976, in a city named Montreal, he did the exact same thing. Viren went for two consecutive Olympics and won both the 5,000 and the 10,000 in 72 and 76. And in 1976, the year I graduated from high school, I remember this so well because he was a hero of mine by then. In 1976, 18 hours after he finished the 5,000 meters, he ran the marathon and got fifth. So in one one Olympics, he gets the 5,000 and the 10,000 and is fifth in the marathon. And he'd won the 10,000 and the 5,000 before that. Well, everybody was up in arms. Because Viren hadn't done anything up until the Olympics. Like in 72, he was kind of an unknown. All of a sudden, he shows up and he wins the 5,000 and the 10,000. What in the world is going on? And everybody claimed, and this made total sense. You remember what everybody was saying about him? Everybody said, he's blood doping. What they're doing is taking some blood out of his system and they're giving it lots of oxygen and doing whatever they're going to do to it, pep it up, and then they put the blood back into him just before the race. Everybody said, there's got to be something illegal about that. Well, at that point, there wasn't. But Viren vehemently denied that that's what happened. And, of course, they claimed that that happened in 76 again, when all of a sudden he did so well. I have no idea whether or not Lasse Viren was guilty of blood doping. I don't know. But the people who claimed it for him recognized this. That if you take the cells of that individual and you transform them and you make them new and you put them back into them they're going to be able to do something that they couldn't do before. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Spirit comes into our lives and makes us new. It's as if the the sinful nature cells in our body are transformed and they become the spiritual nature cells and we become different people because of what Jesus has done. And so, we're talking about temptation, we're talking about sin... We've mentioned for three weeks in a row now that there's probably a sin in your own life that you know needs to be changed or transformed. And let me just tell you, you do not have to be bound by that sinfulness. You do not. Because God has sent His Spirit to be in you And to transform who you are. You are different in Jesus. There's a new axiom. There is a new day. Because we are new people with a new spirit. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for making us new. Thank you for putting within us your spirit, to transform us. We recognize that you don't want us to sin. We recognize our sinful natures. We recognize the temptation it is for us. But God, we recognize that you've made us new. And we thank you and we praise you for that. Help us, Father, to be a people who respond to your spirit within us. To offer ourselves to you and allow you, God, to defeat sin within us. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.